0: The Deal with Yield is a podcast series covering the issues that matter most in crop production. Tune in to episodes on iTunes, My Farm Radio, and TheDealWithYield.com. Tweet any question you have for the hosts with the hashtag DealWithYield or email them at host at dealwithyield.com for the chance to hear their response. Welcome back to The Deal with Yield. We're back with our two hosts, Joel Wipperforth, Winfield Ag Technology Application Lead, and Kyle Reiner, Winfield Master Agronomy Advisor. For this week's episode, we'll be discussing weed control during the growing season. Joel and Kyle, what should farmers do or what shouldn't they do when it comes to weed control and say weeds like water hemp?
1: I think water hemp is quite a prolific weed that has been starting to poke out above the tops of soybean canopies. And I think back to last year, I was on my way down the highway and I passed a coworker who I was about three hours out of my territory, but I honked at him and he was out in his own field pulling water hemp. And Kyle, you know him. He's one of your counterparts out there and he gave me a lot of grief for not stopping to help pull weeds. And to this day, I, I said, Hey, you know, I, I'm not going to stop and help pull weeds. When you can see water hemp poking out above the top of the canopy, you realize that about 50% of that seed on there is viable. So, at best, what my coworker was asking me to help do, and I'll have no part of it, was to help seed his water hemp crop for next year in rows. <laughs> Kyle, do you have water hemp problems?
2: We have water hemp problems, but apparently. It was a poke at us over west of the state to have an issue. So, yeah, as far as weeds and over canopy, if it's over canopy and it's during flowering, I recommend no application of a burner. Is a steel hole the answer or is a field cultivator that you have to cut the tree out of the middle to get it out? The answer would be yes, more than spraying a lead burner. Because what you're essentially going to do with a late burner, you're not going to kill the weed anyway. You're going to burn the top out of it, you're going to feel good for a week or so, and then everything else is going to grow back and it's going to get taller. So as far as that, well, you're talking 100 to uh, 500,000 seeds per plant that could last 20 to 40 years in the soil profile. So is the answer to go pull them, carry them out to the edge of the field and burn them, kind of like they do down south with Palmer, the same family, right? So. The answer is do a better job earlier with layering in your pre's and hope to gosh that you don't ever have weed sticking over the top of your beans or let alone your corn at that time of the year.
1: I think that's some of the pictures you've seen from the south of Palmer Amaran actually getting carted out of the field, and they're trying to keep those fruiting bodies from laying back down into the soil. Because again, after 12 days, 50% of those seeds are viable on that. So if Chad, if you're listening, I'm not stopping to help pull weeds next time or any day after here. But really, the conversation has to go back to, what's our plan for next year? to extend the residual of the herbicides out. And some of the concepts that we've started to use is layering pre-emerges in, in particular our metolachlor's or dimethanamids, that you're layering in our typical pre-emerge herbicides for beans with split applications, once at planting and then once at that V2 stage over the top. And I think that those are areas where we can extend that water hem control later in the season without making a burner application or without making a physical attempt at removing them from the field.
2: I think another thing that we're finding in our area is we're having a hard time controlling water hemp, like everybody is. Giant ragweed is becoming an issue and, and the guy's are like, I don't even know where it's coming from. And I'm like, are your eyeballs working? Because it's all the way around every field boundary. If you have a grass strip in between yours and a neighbor's, you probably have giant ragweed that's probably 10 feet tall. And so... I've been recommending, and, and a lot of guys are doing in our area, is kind of framing the outside of the field. Just try to keep the weed size down because that's where your heaviest pressure is. And you get those strong winds in the winter, and pretty soon you see a tumbleweed or a kochia bouncing across your field. Well, next spring, guess where that seed is? Every time that thing hits, it's going to go down. And giant ragweed, we got the same issue. It's creeping in from the field boundaries and moving the way it's in the field, and is the answer to remove. I remember as a kid, we had the worst outbreak of velvet leaf I've ever been around in my entire life. The stuff was three, four feet taller than our corn. And we spent weeks pulling and hauling it all out and put it on the trailer. And I said to my dad, why have we got to haul this stuff out? Why can't we just pull it and leave it? He goes, do what I say, son. And to this day, we don't have an issue after that. And the smartest thing was to pull and and haul it out, like dad said. So just be conscious of where your pressure is handle the pressure when the weed size is small and take a look at what's
1: on the boundaries because where it's at the boundaries is is what's going to be moving in the field yeah i think one key piece here is anybody who's trying to manage over a thousand acres of soybeans is going to have to figure out a way to get some physical labor out there and maybe talk about having some more kids to help pull weeds because that seemed to work for your dad we just chopped everything on our farm for silage so i didn't have to pull many weeds we just fed it to the cows i thought it was strong back weak mind right
0: Over, say, the past five years or so especially, there's been a lot of changes in strategy when it comes to these weeds, right?
2: Yeah, the Grunel-Misteria Aries has always been on the past, and he's 100% right. They will evolve. They will change. They'll morph. They'll do everything, and whether it's a tolerance or just the way the leaves are shaped or when they emerge, they'll win every time. So whenever you think you got the thing really licked out there, Something will change, the weather will change, and and that hard-to-control weed becomes harder to control. So that's kind of where I'm at on this.
1: Yeah, and even some of the old chemistries that have new soybean traits coming to the market, those are still about getting all of your weed control done with before the 4th of July. If you're spraying weeds in July, you're just seeking revenge, and that doesn't always actually get you better. Kyle, you've actually done some yield trials on your farm with burner chemistries in July
2: it was on the early part of July. I'm not real proud of it. We had a field that got a little bit away from us. Apparently, all the pre's were put in a sprayer, but yet we had weeds like they weren't put in a sprayer. And we tried to get some revenge on some stuff early, early. It was July 1st or 2nd, and it took eight bushels out of one field that was pronounced very heavily out there as we looked at the yield maps when it come time for fall. So it was a lesson learned. Don't wait. If you see something happening that's not controlling, put a plan B in effect fast. Was it at least along the blacktop road? It was right on the blacktop.
0: Now let's talk about pests and disease pressure. What do you see as some of the top challenges at this time of year for both corn and beans?
1: When I think about in-season pests and in particular diseases, it's always about completing that disease triangle. And that disease triangle is made up of three things, the environment, the environment, the host, and the pest. And those have to all three align in order for you to have a surplus of diseases. I know last year we experienced some northern corn leaf blight that took some bushels off and certainly making sure that your fungicide label actually matches up with the disease that you're trying to prevent was one of the things that we learned last year as we've seen some of the off-patent chemistries come into the market. We started to understand that not all fungicides were created equally. And I think making sure that What you're trying to control is actually on your label as a key piece. That northern corn leaf blight in some areas, obviously, we have some hybrids that are tolerant or have a high resistance to that. But certainly, that took off 5 to 10 bushels, 15 in some cases, where we didn't treat with a fungicide, nor did that hybrid have the resistance. Kyle, what are some of your favorite corn diseases at this time of year?
2: It's pretty easy if you got any kind of uh, heavy do's in the morning, usually rust rust is a big thing for us if we get heavy dews in the morning we'll start seeing the pustules and stuff on the bottom side of the leaves very easy to identify late season moisture we get some anthracnose and black spots and stuff that work their way up on the stocks and gosses it's a swear word to a lot of people in some areas and if you have any kind of soil moving early in the spring you can help infection you know induce infection of gosses to start in early past seasons where the presence of gosses might be there. It's a bacteria. It's not a fungus. You can't spray any fungicide on it to make it go away. So those are the ones that really stick out in my mind on corn. And then septoria leaves spot on soybeans. You pull the canopy back, separate the canopy. You start looking at the black spots and the yellow leaves and stuff on the lower parts. Those are the stuff that sticks out to me.
1: I think one of the interesting pieces when you think about fungicides, a lot of them have some additional curative action in them where they could actually slow a rust infestation down a little bit. Next time you're in your field, look at the photosynthetic area that was underneath that disease. And one of the things you'll realize is that as a farmer, you're managing this really complex manufacturing facility that's core is solar collection, And anytime you've got a disease infestation, you're knocking out a percentage of that solar panel that's no longer collecting sunlight. And I think that's one of the key pieces where, yes, some fungicides do have curative action, but it's really about a preventative action that before that disease infestation happens, we're out there putting up a barrier for those plants so that they aren't losing that photosynthetic part of the factory. My
2: analogy if you take the corn leaf and you flip it over and you got an infection on there, and just think of every vein that runs up and down that leaf to transport nutrients and water, right? And all of a sudden you got an infection that it can't transport. So it's called a detour, right? And everybody loves how long detours are. And if you got to run your nutrients and your water across the detour and up, hit another detour and then across, that becomes an issue where the plant just can't transport like it's supposed to in a timely form and and that's when deficiencies or reporting of kernels pull back on corn so whether it's the right analogy or not that's the way I think of it if you have any kind of an issue with disease on the leaf it's preventing nutrient and water movement
0: it's time for our regular audience question in case you missed us last week we'll be featuring a question from one of our listeners at the end of each episode For today's question we actually have a farmer named Bo who asked what are your recommendations to kill Palmer amaranth? I know this has been a challenge. Joel and Kyle how can you help Bo? Well
2: I think the big thing Bo is don't let them start growing. It sounds so simple but we don't have Palmer in the state of Minnesota right now. We do in South Dakota and we do have it in some other states surrounding us but it is in the amaranth family, which is our water hemp, and we struggle with amaranth or water hemp up here. We're just trying to layer in herbicides. We're doing as best job as we can to eliminate them before they start. As far as what if they do come up, there's some burners out there, and if you can hit them right at the right time with burners, they do a pretty good job. But they have to be small, smaller than six inches, in my opinion. And uh, spray early, spray often is kind of my mentality for any kind of water hemp or Palmer recommendation. And if they do miss or get escapes beyond that point pulling them isn't fun but if you got any kind of legacy going on with your kids that'd be the best thing to go if you're going to retire in 2 years and you don't really care let them grow
1: <laughs> you yeah, know boy i actually uh, i disagree with let them grow i think that'll affect the land value as you look to retire in there but Kyle's got a lot of great points. Obviously identifying that it's Palmer amaranth is one key aspect that when you fold that leaf section over what you'll find on Palmer is that petiole is extra extra long. You'll find that that leaf sheath and the petiole is actually going to be longer whereas on the water hemp that we're seeing we just don't have as long a petiole or that stem part between the leaf and the true stem. So Identification is key on that, but you're managing a weed seed bank out there. It's not just a one-year deal you're trying to deplete that weed seed bank over a several year period and it's really about layering in pre-emerges we've talked about potentially rotating to some different herbicides that you haven't used the liberty trait before maybe you haven't experienced a different mode of action but certainly linking all those things up together and i would say that typically on any spray day there's about six things that you need to get right from your adjuvants to your tank mixes to the mixing of that order all the way to the time of day that you spray. If you're going to spray for Palmer, Amaranth, and Wynn, you're going to have to get six out of six of those things right, whereas on some other weeds, it's not as tough. You maybe got to get three out of those six right. So it's really about optimizing that spray efficacy as well as layering in prees and managing that seed weed bank.
2: I think the other thing we joke about, but a field cultivator does make a lot of sense with some of these hard-to-control weeds, and it's not the fanciest job that you've ever had to do on a farm. But it is some good time to listen to us on the radio. <laughs> but it does a good job. I mean, the old steel hole works good too, and those are consistent as long as you don't hit your foot. But now, as all jokes aside, you got to start early. You got to have a good pre, and you got to just stay on top of the weeds. If they get any size at all, it's going to be darn near impossible to control.
0: You've been listening to The Deal with Yield with Joel Whipperfirth, Winfield Ag Technology Application Lead and Winfield Master Agronomy Advisor, Kyle Reiner. For additional episodes of The Deal with Yield, visit iTunes, My Farm Radio, and thedealwithyield.com. Tweet any question you have for the hosts with the hashtag dealwithyield or email them at host at dealwithyield.com for your chance to hear their response.